0: Thank you for joining us for Growing You, part of LeGraves adult education program. In this session, we are going to look at three parts of joy. We want to gain understanding of what joy is. We'll look at roadblocks to joy. And finally, ways to embrace joy. Now presenting, Finding Joy on the Journey, by Prayer Mobilizer, author and speaker, Jolene DeHir. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, and thank you all of you for coming. You know, no matter how many years I do this, or how many seminars or sessions I lead, I'm always afraid nobody's going to show up. That's that's the little girl and be like, "You're going to be there, and it's going to be one old lady and a one-eyed dog, and that's all you're going to have." But um, thank you for coming and for sharing this time with us. There's just uh, before I even begin, there's something I want to make very, very clear before we start talking about joy, and that is. Um, I want to be very sure that you understand, as we talk about this, I do not mean in any way to minimize the struggle and the pain that people go through. I don't want to just give you a few verses, a pat on the head, and say, go in peace. Because there's not a person in this room who has not gone through a difficult time. Some of us have gone through the dark night of the soul. We know what it's like to feel that there's no light anymore. We know what it's like to have trouble opening this book. We know what it's like to just want to give up and pull the covers over our heads. So I do not minimize that sadness or the struggles and the depth of struggles that some of you I know have already gone through or may be going through at this very moment. Also, I do not want to minimize the, the struggle that people go through with grief. It's very important that when we are put in positions where we have to grieve, whether it's a death, whether it's a loss of a dream, whatever kind of grief that we go through, a relationship, we need to have the courage and the perseverance to face that grief, to work through that grief, and then to find release at the end of that. If we don't do that, we never recover. So. I'm going to give you some ideas about joy, but at the same time, I want you to know that I understand, appreciate, and have made the journey of of going through the very, very most difficult times of life. So having said that, um, let's start, let's just delve right in. There are some handouts on the back, I think, or maybe, are they all gone? They're still there? So if you didn't get a handout, uh, because you're just going to want to, you know, take note of everything I say. (laughs) My husband would remind me, he's like, Joanne, people do not hang on your every word. And I'm like, really? I'm always amazed, especially what middle school kids remember of me. I just got asked to do the chapel at Grand Rapids Christian Middle, and the students asked for me. You know how they referred to me? We want that fluffy lady. <laughs> they didn't call me fat. That was nice. But anyway, so be sure to get a hand out. So what we're going to do in this session is hopefully to gain an understanding of what joy is. Secondly, we're going to look at some of the roadblocks that um, we have to face and work through as we uh, find our way towards joy. And then I would like to explore some ways that we can embrace joy and hang on to it as we go through the difficult times. So as Emily said, it's absolutely no secret that this is a time in our our culture, our country, our lives, where we need to hang on to joy. Psychologists are telling us that more people are uh, dealing with anxiety and depression and all kinds of very negative things in this time than any other time. We have uh, jobs and businesses that are closing down. People are losing their jobs. People are worrying about their health. People are worrying about climate change. There is just, it is overwhelming. So how can we find joy in the midst of financial uncertainty, of, of medical uncertainty during this pandemic and onward? So first, let's begin by trying to understand what joy is. And our first thing is, let's ask ourselves this question. Is there a difference between joy and happiness? Now, I have to be very honest with you. I used to think there really was. I used to think that those are two very, very different things. But I was in researching for this, this talk, I came across um, some, several articles and theologians who said that in Scripture, the terms that were used for happiness and joy are used interchangeably. So, according to uh, the Word of God, they are, they are synonymous, but the difference lies in the source of the joy or the happiness. And so, and it was interesting to me, I first looked up the word joy in in the dictionary, and then I went to a Bible dictionary. And just looking up those definitions, which I've recorded in your handouts, helped to understand the difference between joy and happiness and what that means for us. So let's first look at the definition for joy that is found in just the regular dictionary. And that says, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires, and it's the expression or exhibition of such emotion. So I want you to notice the source of that joy. It is success, good fortune, possessing what you want. Now we all know, we're all old enough in this room, even the teenagers, are old enough to know that success does not necessarily bring happiness or joy, nor does money or possessions bring happiness or joy. Even having um, everything that you could possibly want and, all and, oh, your children happy, you're happy, everybody's happy, That does not lasting, it is fleeting, and it will disappoint you, and it will lead to even more anxiety and less happiness. But the Bible dictionary, what the Bible defines joy as... And that is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is rather than on who we are or what is happening around us. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit abiding in God's presence and from the hope of His Word. So notice the source there. What is the source of joy? Jesus. What is the source of joy? The Holy Spirit. What is the source of joy? Being in God's presence. And then the hope of his word. It's a four-pronged expression of joy. And when that's your focus, even in the midst of the deepest trials, there can be joy. And I'm not talking happy, giddy, raising your hands, doing a dance in the kitchen kind of joy. I'm talking about the joy that is inside, a joy that brings peace, a joy that is filled with hope. So joy is not dependent on our circumstances or getting what we want. It's the choice to accept God's gift found in his presence. When my husband received his terminal diagnosis, it was really hard to receive those words. If any of you have ever gotten a bad report from a doctor, you know that reality that hits you in the face, and you're numb, and you don't know how to react, and joy is not in the picture right then. But my dear sweet husband was a man of great courage and wisdom, and right at the beginning he told me that we are going to live with arms wide open. And by that, he meant we were going to open our arms wide to receive the grace of God in whatever form it took in that day. And sometimes the days were filled with really bad news. Not only are you in pulmonary failure, but you're going into cardiac failure, your kidneys are shutting down, we're putting you on hospice. Not a good day. But I want you to know in that day, we found joy because we knew that someday David would be healed, whether on this earth or in eternity. We knew that as we took those final days together, that God would not leave us. We knew that someday, even if we were separated for years, we will be together again. And that was joy. Through our tears, through our numbness, we found joy because we opened our arms wide to receive the grace, the goodness, and the presence of God. So, with that understanding as our foundation of what joy is, let's look at some of the roadblocks that keep us from joy. Because as much as God wants you to experience real joy, the evil one wants... (laughs) just as much to rob you of that joy. And he has an arsenal, and I mean an arsenal of weapons to rob you of experiencing real deep joy and peace. And I've just listed four of them here. The first one is fear. Do you know, most um, research has shown most bad decisions are made because of fear. People marry the wrong person because they're afraid nobody will love them. We um, work day and night and, and, and don't spend time with our family because we're afraid we won't have money to support our family. And so our family suffers. What, all kinds of bad decisions are made from fear. And fear absolutely grips us and it fills us with anxiety. And anxiety robs us of joy. I've loved, I love working with teenagers. I love it so much. But I see the evil one using that in their lives so much. They're so afraid they won't be accepted at the party, so they take the drink they really don't want to take. They're so afraid they won't be liked that they'll have relationships that are unhealthy with people that they shouldn't have relationships with. And so fear, fear drives us. And here's the thing about fear. Many of us, are living with some form of fear that was planted deep in us as a child. And we've lived with it so long, we don't even know that it drives us, it motivates us, and it defines us. We've lived with it so long, and we let that fear be a a thing that that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of the grace that God wants to pour into our lives. And I'm just going to get very vulnerable with you right here. I have this huge fear. I was raised in... um, And abusive and uh, and home, abandoned by my parents emotionally and, and was verbally abused. And I never felt loved or wanted or accepted. Now, I've gone through a lot of counseling, and I know who I am now. But still, in all honesty, there's a little bitty girl way down in here that is so afraid that you couldn't possibly love her or like her or want to be around her. And for many years, that drove me, and I became a people pleaser, and I let people use me, and it was not a healthy situation, and I did not have joy. And so I want to ask you, do you have the courage, not right now, but sometime, I want to ask you, do you have the courage to ask yourself, what is my greatest fear? It might take a long time. It might take you to go away for a weekend of silence and solitude. But once you identify what your greatest fear is, you know what you, the assurance you have? Your God's bigger than that. My God's bigger than my parents' abuse and neglect. My God loves me. That's who I am. I am beloved and I am cherished. And so are you. Whatever your fear is. Are you fear you're not going to be a success? Your God's bigger than that. Are you afraid of of financial failure? Bigger than that. Don't forget how big your God is. Don't let the fear that is planted within you keep you from living with arms wide open to receive the joy that God wants to pour into you. So fear can be a really huge source of keeping us from walking with God. A second one is doubt and unbelief. I have to be very honest with you. I do not understand God's timing. I don't understand why he just doesn't put his lips on that trumpet and blow that horn. You know what I'm saying? I am so ready to go. I really am. Around Thanksgiving, I had some chest pains one night. And I thought I was having a heart attack. And right before my husband died, he saw Jesus. He said, he's really here right before he died. And so I'm sitting in my, my family room. And I'm looking around, it's like you here? Are you here? Did you come? Okay, I'm ready. You know, I'm so ready. But but I don't understand God's timing. I don't understand. I don't understand how how people can hate other people just because they have a different skin color or because they think differently. I don't understand why my brothers and sisters just a few blocks away are sleeping in some some entryway when I've got a beautiful apartment with a lovely bed and heat and electricity and I don't understand why that happens. I don't understand why Russia's trying to invade the Ukraine. I don't understand why people get slaughtered. I don't understand why a good God would let that happen. And so the question comes, and I can understand why people would let doubt and, and unbelief. is like, how can I trust a God? How can I have joy when there is so much pain and sorrow and mess in this world? How can that be? How can those two things live together? Well, between you and me, and I think maybe because I'm so simplistic, there's one thing I do know for sure. And this one thing is so foundational to me. And that is this. God is sovereign, period. Everything I don't understand fits into that. So my God is a good God. He is not the author of the pain. He is not the author of racism. My God is the God of love. My God is the God of putting the needs of others ahead of our own. My God is the God of unity. These are who God is. And all of this other, I don't get, but I do know that my God is a good God, and someday he is going to come back, and someday there will be total righteousness and justice, and mercy will be shown to all men and women, and we will be unified from, as the Bible says in Revelation, every nation, tribe, and tongue, we will be together for all eternity. That is what I know. And so everything that makes no sense to me, that makes me maybe want to doubt and not believe, has to fit into the thing that my God is a good, sovereign, holy, just, righteous God. And there's even good things in scripture I don't get. You know, I wasn't raised in the CRC, so tulip was a whole nother thing to me. I didn't even know John Calvin. I mean, it was like, hmm. But in fact, when my husband told me he was Christian reformed, <laughs> The only way I'd heard the word reformed used was like a boy's reformatory, so I thought he got saved in jail is what I thought. <laughs> but I've since learned, it's okay. My theology's straightened out. But, you know, I, don't, I, I do not understand limited atonement. I don't. Perseverance of the saints, <laughs> way above me. But I know my God who is, is Sovereign. And so I can put it in that one place of sovereignty, and I can accept it. That's what faith is. If we can totally understand God and everything that's going on around us and make sense out of it, then we're God. But we're not. Not even Bob Burkoff. And I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. And, and so we, we, just, we, are, we really need to just trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So we need to work through our doubt and our unbelief by choosing to trust. Another one is guilt and shame. The evil one is so good at reminding us of what we've done wrong. Again, I would guess just about everybody in this room at one time or another has done something that they are not necessarily pleased with or proud of. And the evil one, it's like you youngsters won't understand. We used to have this thing called a tape recorder. And we put these tapes in there, and then you'd hit a little switch. And Satan still uses tape recorders. He's not caught up with our technology. And he'll hit the little switch. Remember when? Remember back in high school when you da-da-da-da? Remember those thoughts you had? They were not really pleasing to God. One of the things I've had to deal with As I told you, I came from an abusive background. When I was 19, I tried to take my life. My parents had told me they didn't love me or want me anymore, and they didn't consider me their daughter. My fiancé had told me he didn't want to marry me anymore. He didn't think I was good enough for him, and he didn't love me. And my roommates had kicked me out. That happened in one afternoon. And I had no place to go. And I had nobody. And so at 19, I didn't know what to do and I tried to kill myself. But God had another plan. Before the beginning of eternity, he had chosen me to be his daughter. And he miraculously showed up that night. And I have a very dramatic testimony, which I can share with anybody later who wants to hear. But he showed up and Jesus Christ became my Lord and Savior. And that night, not only was my life saved physically, but my soul was saved for eternity. But the evil one, you tried to kill yourself, Jolene. How dare you stand in front of those people as a follower of God? You're a sinner. He loves to do that. When my husband and I were first married and trying to start our family, we dealt with infertility. Some of you in this room may know the shame of infertility. The church is full of family. And I lost 12 children through miscarriages. It was my fault I couldn't carry the children. And the shame of not being able to give my husband the children he wanted was horrible. And the evil one would flip the switch. You're not even a real woman. Did you see the disappointment in his eyes when you just told him you lost another child? Why would he want to be married to you? You see, the evil one loves to fill. And when you carry shame and guilt around, it's this huge burden that keeps you from opening your arms wide to receive the grace and the joy. And we need to lay it at the feet of Jesus and receive his grace, his acceptance. His love, because the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to cover us of all of our sins. That's been removed as far as the east is from the west. We are now in Christ. We are new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Oh, hallelujah. I can't imagine what it would be like to go through life carrying so much shame and guilt forever. And then an unforgiving, bitter spirit is another one. Some of you in this room have been treated so poorly by somebody. Friends have betrayed you. People have lied about you. Horrible things have been done. You've been cheated. And it is so hard. You have every right to be angry. That was totally unfair, that was unjust. But if you carry anger and unforgiveness in your heart, you are the one who's suffering. Usually the person who hurt you really doesn't give a hot rip, you know? They've done their thing and they're on their way. But you're the one that's carrying the burden. And for years I used to be so angry with my father for being an alcoholic, for not being the kind of daddy that other kids had, for not loving me. And I didn't even know I was carrying that big burden until Jesus Christ came into my life and started forgiving me and doing spiritual surgery and and taking out some of that. And when I finally was able to let go and give that to God, the joy was inescapable. In fact, God gave me one of the most beautiful gifts I've ever received. My father was at the stage end of his life. He had Alzheimer's, and he was at the stage of Alzheimer's where sometimes he would know people and sometimes he wouldn't. And I was so afraid that first time I was going to walk in, he'd look in my eyes and have no idea who I am. So I walked into the Alzheimer's unit. My dad was sitting there. His back was to me. He was playing cards with three other men, and I had to chuckle because they were all playing a different game. LAUGHTER My dad was obviously winning at poker. Another guy was going, you got sixes? Another guy's going, Jen. And I looked at the back of that man that I used to hate so much. And I realized the only emotion I had left for him was love. I loved him in all of his brokenness, all of his imperfection. God had taken the burden and given me the joy of loving my father. And then the nurse tapped him on the shoulder and she said, hey, look who's here. And I thought, ah, nurse, why didn't you say, look, your daughter's here, in case he was clueless. But then my dad stands up and he's kind of crippled and he slowly turns around and he looked at me and he said, it's my little girl. And for the very first time in 51 years, my father held me in his arms and he drew me close to his chest and he whispered in my ear, I love you. And I firmly believe if I held anger and bitterness in my heart, I would have not have gotten that gift because the next time my dad saw me, he had no idea who I was. So people, my dear friends, let go of your burdens. Come to the cross. Leave it at the feet of Jesus. And and experience, live with arms wide open. He's forgiven you so much. Let's give the gift of forgiveness and remove that barrier. So once we can get rid of our barriers, and with the understanding of where our foundation is, I'd like to offer just some different tools to give you to help you experience joy and hold on to it. And I want to say again, if you're going through a tough time, by just throwing Bible verses at you is not fair. And so this might not be really helpful to you today. And that's okay. But just know that they are here and that you can find them and maybe put these verses in your Bible somewhere so that when you are ready to receive this hope that will be there for you, to, to acquire. And again, I, I, I don't want to minimize, but these are things that I have found that have helped me to hold on to and experience joy, even through some really, really difficult times. So first is the joy of trusting the source. And as I mentioned, our source is threefold. Nehemiah 8, 10 reminds us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. God is the source of our joy. God is our strength. And not only God, but the Holy Spirit. In um, in Romans fourteen seventeen, it says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. It, it never ceases to amaze me. I, there's something about a little child about me. I, I really I like to think I'm smart, but I really think I'm a little below average. But you know, just that. I get so excited about the fact that the third person of the Trinity is living in me. Did that ever just get you? Where you just, you get so excited you could just vibrate and break out in a rash. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my goodness. It is just so awesome. The Holy Spirit of God is living in us. Hallelujah. This is holy ground. That is awesome. And not just that, but Jesus reminds us in uh, John fifteen 11, I've told you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. He's just not just talking to hear himself talk. He is speaking words of truth and grace, and we need to know what those words of truth and grace are. And as we embrace the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the foundation of our joy, the fruit of the Spirit becomes a part of who we are, and joy is, one of the, is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not one of the fruit of the Spirit, it's, and it's not spirit, fruits of the Spirit. It's one massive characteristic of God that's coming out of us, and these are just different avenues, the way it is expressed. And joy is one of those ways because people will disappoint you. Friends will walk out of your life. The last time I went to counseling was shortly after David died. All of the close friends that we had that I thought would stay with me through my grief journey walked right out of my life and went on with other friends. And I felt abandoned again. But by God's grace, I was able to work through it and I was able to move on. And it was hard. I'm not not going to tell you it was easy. I remember one night I'm kneeling at the foot of my bed and I'm begging God to take me home. I wasn't going to do anything to harm myself, but I didn't want to live anymore. I really didn't. And that's when I knew I needed counseling because that's not a healthy place to be. And so I I really urge people. My heart aches for those who are afraid of counseling. It is, if you need the help, we are so blessed here in West Michigan to have awesome counselors with the CAP program that we have here at LaGrave. We can get free sessions with people from Pine Rest. If, when, if you're going through really difficult situations and you need to find joy, one step might need to be that you find yourself a counselor that you can talk with. And I hope that you have the courage to do that. And then another th- uh, way that has helped me to develop joy is develop the intimacy with God. Maybe because I didn't have an earthly daddy, that God is my Abba, became so key to me. So prayer is not something I need to cross off so I can get to sleep or hurry up and do so I can eat my food. Prayer is, prayer is the opportunity to run into the very presence of God and talk to the one who loves me, to, to get to know him. I, I almost can't wait for my devotion time at night because I get to listen to him speak to me And then I get to talk to him, and I get to share my heart, and I don't have to pretend to think. If I'm really down, I can just tell it to him. If I'm angry, I can tell him. He's never, ever pushed me away. He's just embraced me in grace and love, and he's let me share my heart, and he's let me be in his presence. And then as as I leave that, I find that I know joy. And so being in God's word, being in prayer, Spending time in silence and solitude and listening to God. I know that's not a discipline that we, that we often share in our culture because we're very busy people, we're doing people, we're scheduled and, and that's good. But God reminds us in Isaiah that we need to sometimes be still and know that he is God. It is in the stillness and the quietness where sometimes you get to know him the most. One of the most wonderful gifts. I didn't realize how important this was going to be to me. But long before Dave passed, I would spend about two to three hours every night in prayer, meditation, Bible study, and silence. Dave would be working away at his computer, getting ready to teach the next day, and I would be alone with God in the silence. One of the hardest things for widows and widowers is coming home to an empty house. Into the silence. Most people will flip on the TV or the radio, anything, so that you don't experience the silence and the solitude. But you know what I found? Because that had been my practice, after Dave died, it wasn't the enemy. The silence wasn't the enemy. The silence was the place of intimacy. And even though I didn't have a husband anymore, Isaiah 54, 5 says that, "'The Lord your God is your husband.' And I cling to that verse. Most widows do. We can have the, the kind of intimacy of being known, the kind of intimacy of being loved and accepted when we've allowed ourselves to be intimate with God so that even in the pain, and particularly in the pain, when nobody else seems to understand or get it, there's one person I know and his name is my dead God. And I just run to him and I share and he listens and he doesn't. Hit me over the head, and he doesn't say. And I just—this is one I just can't stand. Well, at least, please don't ever use that with anybody. If they share their heart with you, don't say, "Well, at least," you know. You know, I, I was—I remember sharing my grief with someone, and she goes, "Well, at least you got to be married." And I'm like, "So if I wasn't married, I could be sad, but now I can't be sad. I mean, what's the deal?" So, but God never does those dumb things. He just loves us. So intimacy with God. I've. One of the most beautiful things, the night that I um, became a Christian, I heard Jesus call my name. Isaiah 43, one says, I have called you by name and you are mine. And when Jesus says, Jolene, I'd never heard anybody say my name with love until I heard Jesus say it. And now when I read the scriptures, I hear him say, from my Jeremiah, Jolene, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with my loving kindness. And then he says, from Jeremiah 33, Jolene, just call on me. I will answer you. And I will tell you great and wonderful things you've never heard before. Intimacy brings joy, even in the tough times. And then uh, another way that I found to hold on to joy is to open our eyes to God's glory. I used to pray every morning, Lord, show me your glory. And one morning as I'm praying that, I felt the Spirit say to me, okay, Jolene, I'm showing you my glory all the time, but you're not looking. So now what I pray every morning is, Lord, open my eyes to your glory. And he does. And one of the things my dear sweet husband encouraged us to do, and this was so key to us finding joy, was that we decided to live Philippians 4.8. We call it our whatever verse. You know, the whatsoevers. And so we need, we, every day we would focus on the whatsoevers. So life is falling apart, but whatsoever, whatsoever is true. Whatsoever is true is found in this word. We all know that you can't rely on your, your news feed or you know, one news station over the other because we're not sure what's truth. But this is truth, so focus on that which is true, that which is noble or holy. Focus on that which is right, which is obedient to God. It's putting the needs of the other ahead of our own. It's, it's obeying. It's, it's going the second and third mile. It's turning the other cheek. Whatever is pure. And I, I've had to, to look at myself and say, what am I watching on TV? What, am I, what movies am I watching on Netflix? What am I listening to? Is this pure? Is this holy? Is this helping me find joy? Or is it making me want what I shouldn't have? Whatever is lovely. To learn to see the beauty around us. One of the things before I started having back issues, I loved to walk outside. I've always felt close to God in nature. And so often we just take so much of the glory of God for granted. Like taking the time to look at a flower and seeing how the different colors just make for an incredible beauty. Or, or the fact that you can take a breath this morning. What a gift that, you know, there's people in the hospitals that are being intubated that'd give anything to do what you're doing right now without even thinking about it. The fact that you can see one of the ladies who lives where I live is blind, and yet it does, she doesn't let her stop her, but it's made me aware that I can see. Praise God. Just see the beauty of the, of the gifts, and that, and that leads us to the small things and celebrating those small things. You know, uh, Romans one twenty says that... Um, Everything we need to know about God is revealed to us in creation. So if you just look around, you it, it can just see the glory, the majesty, the power, the, the care. The human body is such an amazing thing. My husband was a biologist, and, his, and he taught about human physiology. And he, he would just get so excited about mitochondria. And it, you know, that, well, the guy's kind of weird that way. But, you know, it, but he, he, the body was so amazing. And when you think about it, you get one little vertebrae in your back out of joint and you hurt everywhere, right? You get a little finger cut and you know it. Our bodies are so amazing. Do we, every morning, one of the things I do is I thank him for all the, the healthy working body systems because there's a couple that aren't going so good right now. But, you know, there's a lot that is working well. Praise Jesus. So let's, just thank him for the small things, and once you learn to start to do that, joy comes, because when you start to live in gratitude, joy follows. When you start to live in contentment with where you are, joy follows. So in the small things, and then embrace God's love for you. Zephaniah 3:17 reminds us that he rejoices over us with singing. And he quiets us with his love. I sometimes imagine myself sitting on his lap. And he holds me close to his chest. And he kind of holds my head. And he kisses the top of my head. And he tells me what a pretty little girl I am and how proud he is that I'm his daughter. And just to know that he loves me right where I am as imperfect and messed up as I am. I am totally accepted And totally loved. A love that was so amazing that it reached beyond our sinfulness. While we were yet sinners, while you were yet running away from God, Christ died for you. I've only been able to have the one child, and as I said, he's pretty much a miracle for us. I can't imagine loving anybody more than Jeffrey that I would let Jeffrey die for somebody else. I can't. I just can't. But God loves me more than I love my son because he let his only son die for me. While I was yet a sinner, oh, I'm going to open my arms wide to receive that kind of love and the joy that comes with it. Isaiah 54, verse 10 He tells us that though those mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of grace be removed from you, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And then in John 3, 1, he says, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's who we are. That's your identity. And then in John um, 4, this one I don't have memorized, kind of look it up. John 4 First John 4, it says, So we know and rely on the love of God that the love of God has for us. For God is love, and whoever lives, loves lives in God, and God lives in them. So if you want to know joy, remind yourself again and again and again, however many times it takes, that even though your life is falling apart, even though things are unsure, even though you're filled with anxiety, you are loved by God. Another way that I experience deep joy is in serving others. One of the gifts that God has given to me in these last years is um, over 20 young men and women in the Gen Z millennial age group have sought me out to be their mentor. And so I get to walk with these incredible human beings. They let me into their heart when their hearts are breaking. They let me into their joys to celebrate with them. Next week, I get to read at one of the weddings uh, as one of them gets married, and I've gone through many heartaches with her over the years. But what a gift to serve. And when I start feeling sorry for myself, and I can do a very good job of that. I should invite you to my pity parties because they're really a good thing. And, but I can, I can sit in my little apartment and just feel so sorry for me because my life is so hard and everybody else has it so much easier, and blah, blah, blah. But when, and then when I start feeling like that, it's like, Okay, who can I bless today? Who can I call up? Who can I send a text message to? And sometimes it's just as easy as sending a text message like, hey, somebody prayed for you today. It was me. That's all I'll do. I know I've sent Emily a few of those. You know, And, and sometimes just that's enough, and it makes me feel joy. And then the joy of surrender, of giving ourselves to God. And Romans 12 that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is our spiritual act of worship and So every day I offer myself to God I ask him for God appointments. I love how he surprises me with my God appointments You wouldn't believe all the ministry. It happens at Myers at 28th and Kalamazoo. I Meet all kinds of people there who just need a word of hope just a smile a word of encouragement It's not big But you know what? Some of it has grown into relationship. There's one lady who's a greeter now who just comes up and gives me the biggest hug all the time. Um, And so just, you know, surrendering to God, letting go of expectations, letting go of the things that you want and surrendering to God's will for your life because he will give it to you. He tells us in James that if we submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us, come near to God and he will come near to you. And you will know joy. And then Hebrews 10.10 reminds us that we are made holy by the sacrifice of Christ. And so submit to that holiness. Receive the gift of grace. Receive the blood of Christ. Receive the forgiveness. And then live in his grace. So, (laughs) there you go. I pray that some of these things will bring you hope. Maybe you can share them with others. But again, remember that as you move forward, you will have times of struggle, and they may be long times of struggle, but God will be there. He will not let you go, and rejoicing will come in the morning. So as we leave, I would like to close with prayer, but I would like to also speak a word of grace over you. So let me say this. Um, and then we'll close with prayer. This is my word of God to each of you. Actually, one of the things I have kids do, and I'm going to have you do it, hold your hands out to receive this gift of grace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father God, we thank you for the joy that is found in you, in Jesus, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank you that your grace is bigger than our fears. We thank you that you have taken care of our shame and our guilt. We thank you that we can find hope in your word. We thank you that you are able to, receive, to forgive us and allow us to forgive others. We thank you for all the other ways that we can experience your joy. Help us, Lord, when we do go through the dark nights of the soul. Help us to remember that you are there and that you will help us persevere. And at the other side, we will come out more like Jesus Christ, and the joy will be deeper and richer than other. So we offer ourselves to you in this day, Lord. We say, here we are, Lord. Use us. And we pray this in the holy and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for coming again. Thank you for joining us for Growing You. Join us next week when Dr. Amanda Bankhausen, Director of Safe Church Ministries, discusses how we at LaGrave can be a safe place for those who have suffered from abuse. We hope you can join us for forming a goodness culture that resists abuse.